irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. The Sapphire Planet. The Sapphire Planet. Carl Edward Sagan, born November 9, 1934, died December 20, 1996, was an American astronomer, cosmologist, astrophysicist, astrobiologist, author, science popularizer, and science communicator in astronomy and other natural sciences. His contributions were central to the discovery of high surface temperatures of Venus. However, he is best known for his contributions to the scientific research of extraterrestrial life, including experimental demonstrations of the production of amino acids from basic chemicals by radiation. Sagan assembled the first physical messages that were sent into space, the Pioneer plaque and the Voyager golden record, universal messages that could potentially be understood by any extraterrestrial intelligence that might find them. He published more than 600 scientific papers and articles and was co-author, author, or editor of more than 20 books. Sagan wrote many popular science books such as The Dragons of Eden, Braca's Brain, and The Pale Blue Dot. A narrated and co-wrote the award-winning 1980s television series Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, the most widely watched series in the history of American public television. Cosmos has been seen by at least 500 million people across 60 different countries. 
the book Cosmos was published to accompany the series. He also wrote the science fiction novel Contact, the basis for the 1997 film of the same name. Sagan always advocated scientific skeptical inquiry and the scientific method, pioneered exobiology, and promoted the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or SETI. He spent most of his career as a professor of astronomy at Cornell University, where he directed the Laboratory for Planetary Studies. Sagan and his works received numerous awards and honors, including the NASA Distinguished Public Service Medal, the National Academy of Sciences Public Welfare Medal, the Pulitzer Prize for General Nonfiction for his book, The Dragons of Eden, and, regarding Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, two Emmy Awards, the Peabody Award, and the Hugo Award. Carl Sagan was married three times and had five children. After suffering from myelodysplasia, Sagan died of pneumonia at the age of 62 on December 20th, 1996. Carl Sagan was born in Brooklyn, New York. His father, Samuel Sagan, was an immigrant garment worker from Kamenets Podilsky, then the Russian Empire, in today's Ukraine. His mother, Rachel Molly Gruber, was a housewife from New York. Carl was named in honor of Rachel's biological mother, Chaya Clara. In Sagan's word, that was the mother she never knew. He had a sister, Carol, and the family lived in a modest apartment near the Atlantic Ocean in Bensonhurst, a Brooklyn neighborhood. According to Sagan, they were Reformed Jews, the most liberal of the North American Judaism's four main groups. Both Sagan and his sister agreed that their father was not especially religious, but their mother definitely believed in God and was active in the temple and served only kosher meat. During the depths of the Depression, his father worked as a theater usher. According to one biographer, Sagan's inner war was a result of the close relationship with both of his parents, who were in many ways opposites. Sagan traced his later analytical urges to his mother, a woman who had been extremely poor as a child in New York City during World War I and in the 20s. As a young woman, she had held her own intellectual ambitions, but they were frustrated by social restrictions, her poverty, her status as a woman and a wife. She worshipped her only son, Carl. He would fulfill her unfilled dreams. However, he claimed his sense of wonder came from his father. In his free time, he gave apples to the poor or helped soothe labor management tensions within New York's garment industry. Although he was awed by Carl's intellectual abilities, he took his son's inquisitiveness in stride 
and saw it as part of a growing up. In his later years, as a writer and scientist, Sagan would often draw on his childhood memories to illustrate scientific points, as he did in his book, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. Sagan describes his parents' influence on his latter thinking. My parents were not scientists. They knew almost nothing about science. But introducing me to simultaneously to skepticism and wonder, they taught me two uneasily cohabitating molds of thought that are central to the scientific method. Sagan recalls that one of his most defining moments was when his parents took him to the 1939 New York World's Fair. He was four years old. The exhibits became a turning point in his life. He later recalled the viewing moving map of the America of Tomorrow exhibit. It showed beautiful highways and clover leaves and little General Motors cars all carrying people to skyscrapers, buildings, with lovely spires, flying buttresses, and it looked great. At other exhibits, he remembered how a flashlight that shone on a photoelectric cell created a crackling sound, and how the sound from a tuning fork became a wave on an oscilloscope. He also witnessed the future media technology that would replace radio. It was television. Sagan wrote, Plainly, the world held wonders of a kind I had never guessed. How could a tone become a picture and a light become a noise? He also saw one of the fair's most publicized events, the burial of a time capsule at Flushing Meadows, which contained mementos of the 1930s to be recovered by Earth's descendants in a future millennium. The time capsule thrilled Carl. As an adult, Sagan and his colleagues would create similar time capsules, ones that would be sent out into the galaxy. These were the Pioneer plaque and the Voyager Golden Record records, all of which were spin-offs of Sagan's memories at the 1939 World's Fair. During World War II, Sagan's family worried about the fate of their European relatives. Sagan, however, was generally unaware of the details of the ongoing war. He wrote, Sure, we had relatives who were caught up in the Holocaust. Hitler was not a popular fellow in our household. But on the other hand, I was fairly insulated from the horrors of war. His sister, Carol, said that their mother above all, wanted to protect Carl. She had an extraordinarily difficult time dealing with World War II and the Holocaust. Sagan's book, The Demon Haunted World, in 1996, included his memories of the conflicted period when his family dealt with the realities of the war in Europe, but tried to prevent it from undermining his optimistic spirit. Soon, after entering elementary school, he began to express a strong inquisitiveness about nature. Sagan recalled taking his first trip to the public library alone at the age of five, when his mother got him a library card. 
He wanted to learn what stars were, since none of his friends or their parents could give him a clear answer. Sagan said, I went to the librarian and asked for a book about stars. And the answer was stunning. It was that the sun was a star, but really close. The stars were suns, but so far away they were just little points of light. The scale of the universe suddenly opened up to me. It was a kind of religious experience. There was a magnificent to it, a grandeur, a scale which had never left me, never ever left me. At the age of about six or seven, he and a close friend took trips to the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. While there, they went on to the Hayden Planetarium and walked around the museum's exhibits of space objects, such as meteorites and displays of dinosaurs and animals in natural settings. Sagan writes about those visits. I was transfixed by the dioramas, lifelike representations of animals and all their habitats all over the world. Penguins on the dimly lit Antarctic ice, a family of gorillas, the male beating his chest, an American grizzly bear standing on his hind legs, 10 or 12 feet tall, staring me right in the eye. His parents helped nurture his growing interest in science by buying him chemistry sets and reading materials. His interest in space, however, was his primary focus, especially after reading science fiction stories by writers such as H.G. Wells and Edgar Rice Burroughs, which stirred his imagination about life on other planets, such as Mars. According to another biographer, these early years as Sagan tried to understand the mysteries of the planets became a driving force in his life, a continual spark to his intellect, and a quest that would never be forgotten. In 1947, he discovered Astounding Science Fiction magazine, which introduced him to more hard science fiction speculations than those in Burroughs' novels. That same year inaugurated the Flying Saucer Mass Hysteria, with the young Carl suspecting the discs might be alien spaceships. Carl had lived in Bensonhurst, where he went to David A. Booty Junior High School. He had his bar mitzvah at Bensonhurst when he was 13. The following year, 1948, his family moved to the nearby town of Rahway, New Jersey, for his father's work, where Sagan entered the Rahway High School. He graduated in 1951. Rahway was an older industrial town, and the Sagans were among the few Jewish families there. Sagan was a straight-A student, but was bored due to the unchallenging classes and uninspiring teachers. His teachers realized this and tried to convince his parents to send him to a private school, the administrator telling them, This kid ought to go to school for gifted children. He has something really remarkable. This they couldn't do, partly because of the cost. Carl was made president of the school's chemistry club, and at home he set up his own laboratory. He taught himself about molecules and making cardboard cutouts to help him visualize how molecules were formed. 
I found that about as interesting as doing chemical experiments, he said. Sagan remained mostly interested in astronomy as a hobby, and in his junior year made it a career goal after he learned that astronomers were paid for doing what he always enjoyed. That was a splendid day, when I began to suspect that if I tried hard, I could do astronomy full-time, not just part-time. He attended the University of Chicago, where he participated in the Ryerson Astronomical Society, received a B.A. degree in self-proclaimed nothing with general and special honors in 1954, a Bachelor of Science degree in Physics in 1955, a Master's of Science degree in Physics in 1956, before earning a Ph.D. degree in 1960, 1960 with the dissertation Physical Studies of Planets, submitted to the Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics. The title of Sagan's thesis reflects his shared interest with Gerard, Gerard Kuiper, his dissertation director, who throughout the 1950s had been president of the International Astronomical Union's Commission on Physical Studies of Planets and Satellites. During his time as an honors program undergraduate, Sagan worked in the laboratory of geneticist H.G. Mulder and wrote a thesis on the origins of life with physical chemist H.C. Uri. He used the summer months of his graduate studies to work with planetary scientist Gerard Kuiper, physicist George Gamow, and chemist Melvin Calvin. From 1960 to 1962, Sagan was a Miller Fellow at the University of California, Berkeley. From 1962 to 1968, he worked at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. At the same time, he worked with geneticist Joshua Lenderberg. Sagan lectured and did research at Harvard University until 1968, when he moved to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, after being denied tenure at Harvard. It's been suggested that Sagan was denied tenure at Harvard because of his publicized scientific advocacy, which some scientists of his day perceived as being self-promotion. Harold Urey wrote a letter to the Tenure Committee recommending against tenure for Sagan. Nonetheless, he became a full professor at Cornell in 1971 and directed the Laboratory for Planetary Studies there. From 1972 to 1981, Sagan was the Associate Director of the Center for Radio Physics and Space Research at Cornell. Carl was associated with the U.S. space program from its inception. From the 1950s onward, he worked as an advisor to NASA, and one of his duties including briefing the Apollo astronauts before their flights to the moon. Sagan contributed to many of the robotic spacecraft missions that explored the solar system, arranging experiments on many of the expeditions. In 
He conceived the idea of adding an unalterable and universal message on spacecraft destined to leave the solar system that could potentially be understood by any extraterrestrial intelligence that might find it. Sagan assembled the first physical message that was sent into space, a gold anodized plaque attached to the probe of Pioneer 10, launched in 1972. Pioneer 11, also carrying another copy of the plaque, was launched the following year. He continued to refine his designs. The most elaborate messages he helped to develop and assemble was the Voyager Golden Record that was sent out with the Voyager space probes in 1977. Sagan often challenged the decision to fund the space shuttle and the International Space Station at the expense of further robotic missions. Sagan taught a course on critical thinking at Cornell University until he died in 1996 from pneumonia, a few months after finding that he was in remission of myodoplastic syndrome. Former students describe Sagan as an idea person, a master of intuitive physical arguments and back-of-the-envelope calculations. And Gerard Kuiper said that some persons work best in specializing on a major program in the laboratory. Others are best in liaisons between sciences. Dr. Sagan belongs to the latter group. Sagan's contributions were central to the discovery of the high surface temperatures of the planet Venus. In the early 1960s, No one knew for certain the basic conditions of the planet's surface, and Sagan listed the possibilities in a report later depicted for popularization in a Time Life book, Planets. His own view was that Venus was very dry and very hot, as opposed to the balmy paradise others had imagined. He had investigated radio missions from Venus and concluded that there was a surface temperature of 500 degrees Celsius, or 900 degrees Fahrenheit. As a visiting scientist to NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, he contributed to the first Mariner missions to Venus, working on the design and management of the project. Mariner 2 confirmed his conclusions on the surface conditions of Venus in 1962. Sagan was among the first to hypothesize that Saturn's moon Titan might possess oceans of liquid compounds on its surface, and that Jupiter's moon Europa might possess subsurface oceans of water. This would make Europa potentially habitable. Europa's subsurface ocean of water was later later indirectly confirmed by the spacecraft Galileo. The mystery of Titan's reddish haze was also solved with Sagan's help. The reddish haze was revealed to be due to complex organic molecules constantly raining down on Titan's surface. His further contribution insights regarding the atmosphere of Venus and Jupiter, as well as seasonal changes on Mars, he also perceived global warming as a growing 
man-made danger and likened it to the natural development of Venus into a hot, life-hostile planet through a kind of runaway greenhouse effect. Sagan and his Cornell colleague Edwin Ernst Salpter speculated about life in Jupiter's clouds, given the planet's dense atmospheric composition rich in organic molecules. He studied the observed color variation on Mars' surface and concluded that they were not seasonal or vegetational changes, as most had believed, but shifts in the surface dust caused by windstorms. Sagan is best known, however, for his research on the possibilities of extraterrestrial life, including experimental demonstrations of the production of amino acids from basic chemicals by radiation. He is also the 1994 recipient of the Public Welfare Medal, the highest award of the National Academy of Science for distinguished contributions in the application of science to the public welfare. He was denied membership in the Academy reportedly because his media activities made him unpopular with many other scientists. Very sad. Sagan's ability to convey his ideas allowed many people to understand the cosmos better, simultaneously emphasizing the value and worthiness of the human race and the relative insignificance of the Earth in comparison to the universe. He delivered the 1977 series of Royal Institution Christmas Lectures in London. He hosted and, with Anne Drayen, co-wrote and co-produced the highly popular 13-part public broadcasting service television series Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. Cosmos covered a wide range of scientific subjects, including the origin of life and a perspective of our place in the universe. The first series was first broadcast by PBS in 1980, winning an Emmy and a Peabody Award. It has been broadcast in more than 60 countries and seen by over 500 million people, making it the most widely watched PBS program in history. In addition, Time Magazine ran a cover story about Sagan soon after the show broadcast, referring him as the creator, chief writer, and host narrator of the new public television series Cosmos, and he takes control of his fantasy spaceship. However, Sagan was criticized for putting too much attention in the series, with several of his classes at Cornell being canceled and complaints from his colleagues. Sagan was a proponent for the search for extraterrestrial life. He urged the scientific community to listen with radio telescopes for signals from potential intelligent extraterrestrial life forms. Sagan was so persuasive that by 1982, he was able to get a petition advocating SETI published in the journal Science and signed by 70 scientists, including seven Nobel Prize winners. This was a tremendous increase in the respectability of this controversial field. Sagan also helped Frank Drake write the Arecibo message, a radio message beamed into space from the Arecibo radio telescope on November 16, 1974, 
aimed at informing potential extraterrestrials about Earth. Sagan was chief technological officer of the professional planetary research journal Icarus for 12 years. He co-founded the Planetary Society, the largest space interest group in the world with over 100,000 members in more than 149 countries, and was a member of the SETI Institute Board of Trustees. Sagan served as chairman of the Division for Planetary Scientists of the American Astronomical Society, as president of the Planetology Section of the American Geophysical Union, and as chairman of the Astronomy Section of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. At the height of the Cold War, Sagan became involved in public awareness efforts for effects of nuclear war when a 1982 mathematical climate model titled Twilight at Noon suggested that a substantial nuclear exchange could trigger a nuclear twilight and upset the delicate balance of life on Earth by cooling the surface. He was one of five authors, the S in the follow-up TAPS report, as a research paper came to be known, which contained the term nuclear winner for the first time, a term coined by his colleague Richard P. Turco. In 1984, he co-authored the book, The Cold and the Dark, The World After Nuclear War. And in 1990, he co-authored the book, Path Where No Man Thought, Nuclear Winter and the End of the Arms Race, which explains the nuclear winter hypothesis and with that advocates, advocates nuclear disarmament. Sagan also wrote books to popularize science such as Cosmos, which reflected and expanded upon some of the themes of A Personal Voyage and became the best-selling science book ever published in English. The Dragons of Eden, Speculations on the Evolution of Human Intelligence, which won a Pulitzer Prize, and Broca's Brain, Reflections on the Romance of Science. Sagan also wrote the best-selling science fiction novel Contact in 1985 based on a film treatment he wrote with his wife in 1979. But he did not live to see the book's 1997 motion picture adaptation, which starred Jodie Foster and won the 1998 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. He wrote a sequel to Cosmos, Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of the Human Future in Space, which was selected as the notable book in 1995 by the New York Times. He appeared on PBS's Charlie Rose program in January 1995. Sagan also wrote the introduction for Stephen Hawking's best-selling book, A Brief History of Time. Sagan was also known for the popularization of science, his efforts to increase scientific understanding among the general public, and his positions in favor of scientific skepticism and against pseudoscience, such as his debunking of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. To mark the 10th anniversary of Sagan's death, former students of Sagan recalled Sagan's immense contributions to planetary research, the public understanding of science, and the skeptical movement in the publication Skeptical Inquirer.
following Saddam Hussein's threats to light Kuwait's oil wells on fire in response to any physical challenge to Iraqi control of the oil assets. Sagan and his TAPS colleagues warned in January of 1991 in the Baltimore Sun and Wilmington Morning Star newspapers that if the fires were left to burn over a period of several months, enough smoke from the 600 or so 1991 Kuwaiti oil fires might get so high as to disrupt agriculture in much of South Asia and that this possibility should affect the war plans. These claims were also the subject of the television debate between Sagan and physicist Fred Singer on January 22nd, aired on the ABC News program Nightline. In the televised debate, Sagan argued that the effects of the smoke would be similar to the effects of nuclear winter, with Singer arguing the contrary. After the debate, the fires burnt for many months before extinguishing efforts were complete. The results of the smoke did not produce continental-sized cooling. Sagan later conceded that in the demon-haunted world that the prediction did not turn out to be correct. It was pitch black at noon with temperatures dropping 4 to 6 degrees Celsius over the Persian Gulf, but not much smoke reached the stratosphere, altitudes, and Asia was spared. In his later years, Sagan advocated the creation of an organization's search for asteroid near-Earth objects, or NEOs, that might impact the Earth, and to postpone developing the technology to defend against them. He argued that the nuclear detonation, along with the other methods of deflection proposed as a means to alter the orbit of the asteroid, created a deflection dilemma. If the ability to deflect an asteroid away from the Earth exists, then one would also have the ability to deflect a close-approaching asteroid toward Earth, creating an immensely destructive weapon. In a 1994 paper he co-authored, he ridiculed a three-day-long near-Earth object interception workshop held by Lanel in 1993 that did not, even in passing, state that such interception and deflection technology could have these ancillary dangers. Speaking about his activities in popularizing science, Sagan said there were at least two reasons for scientists to explain what science is about. Naked interest was one, because much of the funding for science came from the public, and the public had the right to know how their money was being sent. If scientists increased public excitement about science, there was a good chance that having more public supporters. The other reason was the excitement of communicating one's own excitement about the science to others. From Cosmos and his frequent appearances on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Sagan became associated with the catchphrase, Billions and Billions. Sagan said that he never actually used the phrase in the Cosmos series. The closest that he ever came was in the book Cosmos, where he talked about billions upon billions. A galaxy is composed of gas and dust and stars, billions upon billions of stars. 
Richard Feynman, a precursor to Sagan, is observed to have used the phrase billions and billions many times in his red books. However, Sagan's, Sagan's frequent use of the word billions and distinctively delivering, emphasizing the b or the b, which he intentionally did in place of the more cumbersome alternatives such as billions with a b, in order to distinguish the word from the word millions, made him a favorite target of comic performers, including Johnny Carson. He is also known for expressing wonderment at the vastness of space and time, as in his phrase, the total number of stars in the universe is larger than all the grains of sand on all the beaches of the planet Earth. As a humorous tribute to Sagan and his association with the catchphrase billions and billions, a Sagan has been defined as a unit of measurement equivalent to a very large number of anything. Sagan believed that the Drake equation, on substitution of reasonable estimates, suggested that a large number of extraterrestrial civilizations would form, but that the lack of evidence of such civilizations, highlighted by the Fermi paradox, suggests technological civilizations tend to self-destruct. This simulated his interest in identifying and publicizing ways that humanity could destroy itself with the hope of avoiding such a cataclysm and eventually becoming a spacefaring species. Sagan's deep concern regarding this potential destruction of human civilization in his nuclear holocaust was conveyed in a memorable cinematic sequence in the final episode of Cosmos called Who Speaks for Earth? Sagan has already resigned from the Air Force Scientific Advisory Board UFO investigation, Condon committee, and voluntarily surrendered his top secret clearance in protest over the Vietnam War. Following his marriage to his third wife, novelist Anne Duran, in June 1981, Sagan became more politically active, particularly in opposing escalation of the nuclear arms race under President Ronald Reagan. In March 1983, Reagan announced the Strategic Defense Initiative, a multi-billion dollar project to develop a comprehensive defense attack against nuclear missiles, which was quickly dubbed the Star Wars program. Sp Sagan spoke out against the project, arguing that it was technically impossible to develop a system with the level of perfection required and far more expensive to build such a system than it would be for an enemy to defeat it through decoys and other means, and that its construction would seriously destabilize the nuclear balance between the United States and the Soviet Union, making further progress towards nuclear disarmament impossible. When Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev declared in a unilateral moratorium on the testing of nuclear weapons, which would begin on August 6, 1985, the 40th anniversary of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima, the Reagan administration dismissed the dramatic move as nothing more than propaganda and refused to follow suit. In response, anti-nuclear 
and peace activists staged a series of protest actions at the Nevada test site beginning on Easter Sunday in 1986 and continuing through 1987. Hundreds of people in the Nevada Desert Experience group were arrested, including Sagan, who was arrested on two separate occasions as he climbed over a chain-link fence at the test site during the underground operation Chair to Ear and United States Musketeer Nuclear Test Series of Detonations. Sagan was also a vocal advocate for the controversial notion of testosterone poisoning, arguing in 1992 that human males could become gripped by an unusually severe case of testosterone poisoning, and this would compel them to become genocidal. In his review of the Moondance magazine article, 1990 book, Women on War, he argues that females are the only half of humanity untainted untainted by testosterone poisoning. One chapter of his 1993 books, Shadows of the Forgotten Ancestors, is dedicated to testosterone and its alleged poisonous effects. Sagan was married three times. In 1957, he married biologist Lynn Margolis, mother of Dorian Sagan, and Jeremy Sagan. After Sagan and Margolis divorced, he married artist Linda Salzman in 1968, mother of Nick Sagan. During these marriages, Sagan focused heavily on his career, a factor which many have contributed to Sagan's first divorce. In 1981, Sagan married author Anne Druyan, mother of Alexandra Rachel Sasha Sagan and Samuel Demetrius Sagan. Sagan and Drian remained married until his death in 1996. Isaac Asimov describes Sagan as one of only two people he ever met whose intelligence surpassed his own. The other, he claimed, was computer scientist and artificial intelligence expert Marvin Minsky. Sagan wrote frequently about religion and relationships between religion and science expressing his skepticism and the conventional conceptualizations of God as a sapient being. For example, some people think God is an outsized, light-skinned male with a long white beard sitting on a throne somewhere up there in the sky, busily tallying the fall of every sparrow. Others, for example, Baruch Spinoza and Albert Einstein considered God to be essentially the sum total of the physical laws which describe the universe. I do not know any compelling evidence for the anthropomorphic patriarchs controlling human destiny from some hidden celestial vantage point, but it would be madness to deny the existence of physical laws. In another description of his views on the concept of God, Sagan emphatically writes, The idea that God is an oversized white male with a flowing beard who sits in the sky and tallies the fall of every sparrow is ludicrous. But if if by God one means the set of physical laws that govern the universe, then clearly there is such a God. This God is emotionally unsatisfying. It does not make much sense to pray to the law of gravity. On atheism... 
Carl commented in 1981, an atheist is someone who is certain that God does not exist, someone who has compelling evidence against the idea of God. I know of no such compelling evidence because God can be regulated to remote times and places and to ultimate causes which would have to know a great deal more about the universe than we do now to make sure that no such God exists. To be certain of the existence of God and to be certain of the non-existence of God seem to me to be very, to be the confident extremes in the subject so riddled with doubt and uncertainty as to inspire very little confidence indeed. Carl also commented on Christianity, saying, My longtime view about Christianity is that it represents an algamum of two seemingly immiscible parts, the religion of Jesus and the religion of Paul. Thomas Jefferson attempted to excise the Pauline parts of the New Testament. There wasn't much left when he was done, but it was an inspiring document. Regarding the relationship between spirituality and science, Sagan stated, Science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. When we recognize our place in an immensity of light years and the passage of ages, when we grasp the intricacy, beauty, and subtle of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined, is surely spiritual. An environmental appeal, preserving the cherish and cherishing the earth, signed by Sagan and other noted scientists in January 1990, stated that the historical records make clear that religious teaching examples and leadership are powerfully able to influence personal conduct and commitment. Thus, there is a vital role for religion and science. In a reply to a question in 1996 about his religious beliefs, Sagan answered, I am agnostic. Sagan maintained that the idea of a creator God of the universe was difficult to prove or disprove, and that the only conceivable scientific discovery that could challenge it would be an infinitely old universe. Sagan's view on religion had been interpreted as a form of pantheism comparable to Einstein's belief in Spinoza's God. His son Dorian Sagan said, my, my father believed in the God of Spinoza and Einstein, God not behind nature, but as nature, equivalent to it. His wife Anne said, When my husband died, because he was so famous and I know for not being a believer, many people come up to me, and it still happens, and ask me if Carl changed at the end and converted to a belief in the afterlife. They also frequently ask me if I think I will see him again. Carl faced his death with an unflagging courage and never sought refuge in illusions. The tragedy was that we knew we'd never see each other again. I don't ex ever expect to be reunited with Carl. Sagan's best work was from the pale blue dot, and I'll read it now. The pale blue dot is the Earth as a bright pixel when photographed from Voyager 1, 6 billion kilometers, or from outside Pluto. Here's what he wrote. The pale blue dot, 1994. 
On it, everyone you ever heard of, the aggregate of all our joys and sufferings, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species, live there on a mote of dust suspended in the sunbeam. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.